0: I think it's uh, probably the best day of the year overall. It's way cooler than Mother's Day, right? (laughs) Um, I think the reason I think it's way cooler than Mother's Day is because really dads do most of the lifting when it comes to um, having children, raising children, all that kind of stuff. So... uh, (laughs) Thought it started us off on the right foot. Uh, Let's go to Job chapter 1. A few things. I know some of the things I'm going to say today are pretty countercultural, as opposed to all the other days. But uh, this is something that I think is very important. I want to say this first to kind of set the stage for this, because I don't think this gets enough... um, I don't think we talk about this enough. And one of the reasons is nowadays we're not even allowed to say what I'm about to say because it's, it's considered very misogynistic, which is sad because the Bible backs this up amazingly. And we can just, we can just practically look around our society today and know what I'm saying is true. But the, the, this, I think this is one of the foundations scripturally and societally. I think fathers set the stage for culture... Not just in their family, but culture, societal culture in their countries, in their areas that they live in. I believe that fathers set the pace for that. That most of culture comes from fatherhood. It doesn't come from politics. I believe very strongly that politics fo- follows the church, and the church follows the father. I don't believe the church. Uh, the church guides fathers. I think the church, the mentality and the attitude of the church is a result of fathers. Okay? Now, some of this is, when I say this immediately, you start, there's, this is an indictment to some level, right? Um, but I really believe this. And if you go all the way back to the New Deal and right after the the, um, the Depression, and you come through World War II, immediately after World War II, we started seeing a major shift that had been building for a couple decades before that. Uh, that fathers were the percentage of the fathers that were that were in the home was becoming drastically reduced. Now I, I blame this. In fact, I think it's the most tragic thing that has happened uh, to our country from politicians is welfare and all the stuff that goes along with that. I'm not saying helping people that are struggling is a bad thing. It's obviously a good thing. But I think what we did is we took a lot of the responsibility of stuff off of the family off of the father, and then we started giving finances to families, and, and they would get more finances if there wasn't a dad in the home. Now, you can look at this two ways. You say, well, that's because a single mom needs more help. I'm not arguing that at all. I think that's legitimate, but the more that you do that, and the higher it gets, and then when the father comes back into the home, if there's not some kind of benefit for that happening, you're, you're actually paying families to not have the father there. And that becomes more ingrained within the societal context. Not the first generation and second generation. By the time you get to the fourth and fifth and sixth generation, which is what we've been moving into, that's when it has changed the context of culture. And culture, I believe culture is set by fathers. The way that society looks at things is set predominantly by fathers. How we look at ourselves, how we look at family, how we look at men, how we look at women, all this stuff is set by fathers predominantly. And guys, this is the thing is, is we don't even really process that sometimes. We don't think about that. But how, how you raise your children, fathers, will determine how they see life and society. How you raise your children will determine whether they think um, just getting a handout is better than working for it. Fathers, you set that stage more than even moms do. You set the stage for that. The, the integrity that comes along with being a dad is, is, eclipses anything else that you're going to deal with in society. Fathers set the stage for this. this. This is part of the reason that it's so important that we be godly fathers, but this is also why our country has come the way that it is. I, I believe this. I can't prove this, but I just know this to be true. Okay? This is just purely anecdotal for me. I really believe that if you had the ability to go to these riots, the Antifa riots, the BLM riots and all that stuff, and statistically sit down and interview every single one of those people, I believe that most of them didn't have dads. The, you, don't, you don't act like that when you had a good, um, solid, I'm not even saying godly, but just a solid father figure in the household. And you say, well, then moms are responsible. No, It's different. Moms provide different things. They're more of a nurturing. They provide different than fathers do. Fathers provide things that moms can't. The the context of who you are within the the reality of society. Who you are in relationship to other people. Taking responsibility for things. Fathers do that in a way that mothers don't and, and can't. This is a father thing. And we don't put enough emphasis on this. Fathers, one of your responsibilities is to raise boys to be godly men not just Christians but men with with let me say it I know this isn't popular with masculinity not not well clap or not clap I don't know who's clapping are the women Guys, this is something, I was I was looking at this. Of course, I already had the message prepared, and I'm think I'm already thinking this way. So I was I was uh, premeditated here, but I'm I'm watching TV and and the commercials. Every single commercial for at least two hours that I paid attention to. Every single commercial that a male was in that commercial, he was extremely effeminate. Extremely, guys. We dads, you got to teach men how to be men. I know it's not popular to even say that nowadays. We're not allowed to talk. about <gasps> You mean being a jerk? If, if he's a true man, he's not a jerk. He's a jerk. He's not a man. You, you understand what I'm saying? Be a, be a man. We're not teaching that. Look at this. Job chapter 1. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity, I love this sentence because it's one of these sentences, not a lot of them in Scripture, but, but this is a sentence where I believe Job wrote this. Some people say that Moses did, but I believe Job wrote the book of Job, and there's too many reasons why. He describes things on a very personal thought, mentality, intimate level that somebody else could not have, even if he told them the story. Okay, And so I believe Job wrote this, and here's the thing. This is like the sentence where Moses writes... Uh, The sentence, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth, but Moses writes it, which should disqualify that statement immediately, except for this, God superintends, the Holy Spirit superintends all of scripture and approves all of scripture to the final product. So that means God approved, therefore it was God saying, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Well, this is one of those sentences. Job is the one writing it, but God is approving it, therefore it made the the final cut spiritually. When Job says he was blameless, that means God thought Job was blameless. Not just Job thought he was blameless. And then it says, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Because if you fear God, you will stay away from evil. This is why our country is becoming so immoral. Because we don't fear God anymore. We're not not afraid. And I know we we talk about fearing God as a respect thing and everything else. But that's only part of the definition. The word fear actually means to be afraid. And this is something. I watched this happen as I became a teenager And and then move from the 1980s into the 90s, we had a major push within Christianity, evangelical Christianity in the United States, that we get that we get away from scaring people. Okay? And I I get that. I agree with it, all right? I understand that. We don't but the problem is they said the reason the way we're fearing the scaring people is we're preaching about um, eternity we're preaching about hell we're preaching about judgment and stuff like that so we need to and I and I get that because I heard that probably 85 90 percent of the time growing up in Pentecostal churches in Texas I get that but and and I also know as a nine-year-old I, I've said this before I, w- I would lay in bed and pray God please don't if you come back tonight please don't send me to hell and please take me with you to heaven I don't want and I was scared to death of that but here's the question. I'm, say this is, as, as a parent. Father, ask yourself this question. Would it be okay if the only way your kids got to heaven is they got scared there? Yep. Of Think of what I'm saying. Well, we don't, we don't want our little tender flowers to be scared. Okay, except God is the one in charge of everything. God wiped out entire people groups sometimes because they turned against him. God doesn't play around. And we've we've built this mentality of God in American Christianity where he's all just uh, fruit juice and and flowers. And at what particular point is is he also the guy that is in charge of everything and he's the judge? And he is holy and will not accept anything but holiness. That's what Scripture says. That's not me. I think there's a, a, a legitimacy to saying the reason that we're so immoral as a country is because we're, we're more worried, more afraid of other things than we are God. If you were standing there when Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead, you, your next sentence would have been very careful to the apostles. Right, you're next in line. Have you ever thought about that? They step up and say, "We've given all our money, and here's the land, all this stuff, and you're next in line. You have to wait, a little while because they got to clear out the dead bodies. Don't you think? Don't you think that would cause concern? What about when the ground opened up in the Old Testament? Three hundred people were swallowed. What about the person one foot away from that hole? Don't you think they were concerned about what they said and did next, guys? Do, Job feared God. He knew God was in charge. And he didn't play around with this. In fact, we can see from this what his thought process was. It says he had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 cattle, 5,000 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. I guess the male ones didn't count. There's probably only two or three of those. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. This is something I always try to, when we come across this, I try to say this. Because we've we've built such a mentality in the United States where everything is is just like opposite day. When I was in high school, we had Thursdays were opposite day. Do you guys remember something like that? You wore your clothes backwards? Was that just me? <laughs> Am I the only guy? You're like, they tricked you. <clears throat> no, I did. So, so here's the thing. I feel like we're living in opposite day right now. Everything is opposite. Everything that's going on is opposite. One of the things that... See, Satan is a divider. He's always trying to divide people by... Um, gender, by ethnicity, by people group, by um, culture, all these different things, right? Politically. Well, one of the ways that he tries to divide is he tries to do it um, economically. Have you heard that this is a a phrase that is becoming popular nowadays, more popular nowadays, um, but I haven't really heard this phrase except years ago when I read some books, But the the short term of the phrase is bougie. You heard that? Me and my wife went and looked at a Tesla. This is about a year and a half ago. We were were just looking at them. I was thinking, I'm going to maybe get rid of my Jeep. I don't know. Maybe we'll buy a Tesla. My daughter was having fits over this. She was upset at us. We went to the Tesla place, which that's, it's not like you, okay, but either way. So we went and we were looking at this Tesla, and she's like, you're really considering buying a Tesla? I said, probably not, but I think they're cool, and I'd like to look at them." She said, you guys are so bougie. So, so you, what it means, where does it come from? Bourgeois. French Revolution. That's the concept of it. The rich were the bad guys, and the poor were the good guys, and they overthrew the bad guys. Now, I understand that context, but what we've done in today's society... See, this is the interesting um, tag to the term bougie. is whoever is saying it, what they're saying is you're spending money on stuff that is not socially approved. Or personally approved is really what it means. Personally approved. Well, you're just, you're just rich and you're just spending money. And I told my daughter, I said, if I want to buy a Tesla... I'm going to buy a Tesla. I don't care who it offends. You don't need an electric car. I don't need a lot of things. I don't need my daughter to go to college, but she is. (laughs) So here's something I think is important, guys. We've got to really look at some of this stuff socially. It's interesting how we have made, in American society, we've made the rich Bad and the poor good. There's no b- biblical basis for that. The difference is you can be rich and be good or bad. You can be poor and you can be good or bad. Because here's the thing. You can be rich and be selfish or you can be rich and be giving. It's a spiritual concept. Money is neutral. There is no such thing as badness in money. Same way with capitalism. Capitalism is neutral. Marxism is not. Communism is not. Capitalism is neutral. It's completely upon the decision of the individual. You can either be selfish or not. In Marxism, you can't have a God. You see what I'm saying? We play around with this. You can see by the way that this is written is the reason that Job was so financially well off is because he feared God. God was blessing him for that. And I really believe, Jerry Total, you see this all the time, that um, God gave him finances to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. I believe that some things that God does, God blesses people financially sometimes just to be an agent of his. To be used by him to do things, financially do things. But here's the reality. That doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy for God to use you that way. How about the woman with the two pennies? Right? Right? Guys, let's not try to categorize people. Let's not try to do that. It's it's dangerous. It's destructive. It's not helpful. Verse 4, Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. Well, that's nice. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. This, this little part of this scripture has stood out to me more in the last decade than ever before. This has, become, this has become my mantra as a father. Job would purify his children. I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a second. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Parents, you ever wondered about your kids? Right? Right? When your kids start getting old enough to start doing things on their own, then they get um, the freedom of a driver's license, and you start worrying, you start wondering. I'll give you another stage. When they move out of the house, and you start worrying in ways that you never thought you would worry before, and you wake up in the middle of the night pleading for your children before God, and you don't even know why, and you're afraid to ask because they'll be like, Dad, right? But you know, God woke you up for a reason. They may not be admitting it. What do you mean? You know it's true. Don't make me come over there. (laughs) Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Job's children knew he was doing this. Knew he was doing this all the time. Just by them knowing he did this was ministering to them. Just knowing that. My, my children joke about this, um, specifically my boys. but They joke about they can't do anything wrong because the Holy Spirit tells my wife everything. <laughs> and for years they've been saying this. I could, I could have Isaac come up here right now and give you examples. Where, where all of a sudden mom just knows and no one can figure out why except the Holy Spirit told her. And I know I've watched it. That's why I'm a little careful too myself. I don't think it works just for kids. <laughs> but, but this is the thing with that is, you, dads, you want, you want your children knowing that you serve God. And you want them knowing everything about that. The first thing with this, I want to unpack this a little bit. The first thing is, fathers, you've got to fear God. You've got to fear God. Fathers, your children need to know that you are more concerned with what God thinks than anybody else on the planet. Your children need to know that you are more fearful of God's ability to do something in your life than anybody else. Jesus himself said, be more worried about who can send your soul to hell than who can hurt your physical body. He's not playing around with this stuff. Fathers, fear God. Fear God more than you fear your boss. Fear God more than you fear the IRS. More than you fear the bank. And here's a big one, fathers. Fear God more than you fear mom. Many times over the years, I've I've had grown people talk about how Mom ran the household and dad was just kind of there. Guys, that's not okay. You need to be a force in your family. Your children need to know that yes, you two cooperate, you two uh, communicate and all that stuff, but mom doesn't just run over you. Guys, that's that's a sad thing because there's probably more, I'm saying from your experience with parents, there's probably more of that than not in this room. Where dad's just, okay, they just, whatever. Well, whatever your mother says. I only used that when it was beneficial. <laughs> right? Fathers, be, be, be men. Be fathers. Lead your family. Don't, don't be a, a, a doormat for anybody or anything. If you fear God more than you fear anybody else, you can't be a doormat, in my opinion. If you really fear God... There, you have to stand up and do certain things. You have to be a, this, this person, this leader. You have to be. Because you fear God. We've got to fear God. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. This is why evil is so invaded, so pervasive in our society. Because we don't fear God more enough. We don't fear God more than the other stuff. And so immorality and evil begins to work its way in. If you, knew, if you knew that every single moment of every day, if Jesus physically stepped into your presence and walked around with you during the day, you would act different, think different, talk different. You would go different places. Because why? Because there's immediacy of, of accountability. But see, the cross gives us grace, and so there's not this immediacy in our accountability. And so there's, there, we, we get lazy, and, and we start playing around with stuff that we shouldn't be. We think in things we shouldn't, go in places we shouldn't. Because why? We're not fearing God enough. We've got to be, we've got to be more worried about what God thinks than anything else. And then we'll hate evil. Why? Because God hates evil. He says, therefore, I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. Wouldn't your conversations be different sometimes if Jesus was standing right there? This is one that God convicted me of years ago. Lynn and I were in an argument. And, I, and this thought just processed in my head, um, like Jesus was, was standing behind me saying, what if I just physically step in the room right now? Are you going to continue this? And I thought, well, maybe we could go to another room. I don't know. But it really convicted me. The way that I was talking to Linda, some of the things that I was saying, the, the, my argument, which I knew wasn't as strong as I was acting like it was, right? Am I the only guy in the room that's ever been there? You know you're wrong the whole time you're saying it. But you're standing strong. You planted a flag. This is it. This is the mountain I die on. Right? And and it's just like Jesus said, if I stepped into this room right now, are you going to keep talking to her like that? I thought, no. But you're not here. so No, I didn't say that. So, <laughs> therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. The second thing, fathers, purify your children. Now, here's the part where, where Job does this, but he does this with uh, burnt offerings. We, we don't do this with burnt offerings, right? I hope, I hope. Unless you have cats, and I think it's okay. But <laughs> we don't do this with burnt offerings, right? So, but you can still pur- purify your children. How do you purify your, ch- your children? Because you can. Fathers, f- from little babies, when your children are little babies, till, till the day you die, you can purify your children. But here's some of the ways you do it. You can't do it in an active sense like you could in the Old Testament because now the cross makes this much more individualistic. Okay, I, I, in the Old Testament, as a father, they gave blessings and they did stuff and they purified their kids in ways that, that, that because there wasn't grace and forgiveness yet, that, have you ever just, this is just an interesting study. You should go through, dads, you should specifically do this. Go through and look at all the places where dads bless the children. And, and everything that he said happened exactly like he said it. There is some kind of, and I don't totally understand it, but there is some kind of spiritual authority when a dad speaks into the children's life that it is, it is a spiritual context that I think transcends what we recognize and understand in today's, in today's world, in our Western Christianity. But they would purify their kids. Well, you can do this after the cross, but now the children are making their own decisions, very individualistic, and grace is immediate. With, I mean, grace, grace makes a, a accountability not immediate with them, okay? Okay. So you have the ability to do a few things. The first thing, I think, in purifying your children is you pray for them and with them. From the time they're, they're babies, dads, your children need to hear you praying for, the, for them. They need to hear you praying. I, I, one of the things that just moves me every time with my granddaughter when we're there, and they have evening prayers, and they go and they do, they do two things. They pray the Lord's Prayer, and then they, they pray for stuff. And to hear my granddaughter pray, I love that. I loved it when my kids prayed when they were little. I love that. you got a two-year-old, teach them to, to pray so they can barely talk. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the best words that they begin to learn first are things like Jesus? In our house, they said daddy years before they said mother. I think, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure. But but pray for your kids. Pray for your kids and pray with your kids. And you hear me say this all the time, but they need to hear you praying. But then they need to pray in front of you too. You need to hear them praying. When things are going difficult, dads, they, they, they need to hear your voice calling out to your God about things that are bigger than you. Because someday the things are going to be bigger than them and you're teaching them what to do when that happens. They need to hear your voice. First time this ever got to me, I, I never... I never really processed this, but this is the first time it really got to me. Um, This would have been, Linda and I had resigned as being youth pastors, and it was about six months before we became lead pastors, and the reason it took so long was because I was was resisting what God was doing, and I didn't want to do it, and I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to to do, I wanted to be an associate still, and I didn't want to be a pastor, and so I was fighting that. I was resisting it, and so we went, it took us about six months to get my head straight, so... During that time frame, um, we had we had sold our house because we thought it would just be a few weeks and we'd be going to the next position, um, too long to explain all that, but so we moved in with Linda's grandparents for a few weeks, turning into about six months, and uh, so I, I had these jobs where I was working in the middle of the night, and all kinds of hours, I'd get up, I was working with construction, and I would get up early, like three in the morning and go, and so I put a little cot out in the garage, and I was sleeping out in the garage. The rest of the house had air conditioning. I didn't. I just wanted to mention that. But um, I was sleeping out in the garage. The family seemed to because I'd get up in the middle of the night. Sometimes I'd get a call from this guy to do some work um, uh, in the middle, literally through in the middle of the night, and I'd, I'd leave at like 1 in the morning and get back at 7 in the morning, that kind of thing. So I was sleeping out there, and uh, one of these nights I'd been working. I'd come in, and I'm not doing anything that evening, and so I, I was just spending some time praying. And I'm walking around this uh, garage. It wasn't just a garage. It was made into a room. It sounds like, you know, it's just concrete with the doors opening. That's not what it was. It was like a, a workroom and had tools and benches and stuff like that and refrigerator, washing machine, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So I'm walking around this room praying and Jonathan had wandered out there and he was about three and a half, four years old at that time. And, and uh, he, he liked to go out there and play with grandpa's stuff and it was tools and things. So he's out there over the side of the room, and I'm just walking around this room praying, and I wasn't paying attention. But as I'm walking around, I'm praying out loud, and, and, um, and I'm a little OCD, so I'm touching stuff as I walk by them. I can't help it. So, uh, so I like, I'm praying, and I touch the washing machine and touch the dryer and touch the refrigerator, touch the bookcase, all this stuff as I'm walking around this room. And let's keep walking around praying and praying. And then I realized that somebody's following me. Jonathan had gone in line. He was following me, right? Um, and he didn't totally understand what was happening. He thought we were praying for the things. <laughs> because I was praying, God, you know, we really need you to just give us a break that we need. And then I touched the washing machine. So I realized, you know how in the back of your head you realize something else is going on? And so now I kind of stop what I'm saying and I'm still walking around and I'm now I'm paying attention to him behind me. He's a little bitty. And he's walking on behind me and he's going, God! washing machine. God, dryer. And I thought it just was one of those moments. God showed me a couple things. One of the biggest things he showed me, dads don't ever forget this. Your children are watching every single thing you do all the time. And that doesn't mean just when they're little. It doesn't mean just in junior high, just in high school. It means as adults, they're still watching everything you do. When you become 80, they're still watching everything you do. And they're they're following certain things and they're following attitudes and patterns. And you set the stage for your kids more than any other human on the planet will set the stage for Your children need to hear you pray, and they need to know why. The why, I think, is as big of a thing sometimes, because we're struggling. Family, this has happened. You know, we're praying, praying about this. Second thing is discipline. You purify your children by disciplining your children. This is something, you know, I pick on this all the time. It's becoming less and less popular to discipline your children. Thus, Antifa. And I'm serious about that, right? You get one shot at disciplining your child at that stage of their life. You get one shot. This is something I've always wondered about with parents when when their babies are still, they're not babies anymore, they're like one, that kind of age, and they wear diapers and you're scared to pop them on the rear. Do you realize they don't feel that? Except maybe squirting poop up their back. They don't feel it. <laughs> You're popping them on a diaper. But they learn from that. And they learn this is not okay behavior. You, you, discipline is how you purify your children. Fathers, you don't need to be passive about this either. I know some fathers, they're not the disciplinarians and mothers are and vice versa. It depends. But dad, you still have to be the disciplinarian too. Don't, I, I, it's horrible to say... You wait till your mother gets home. What kind of, I I don't, I'm not trying to be a jerk with this. I'm serious. What kind of wimp waits for mom to get home? Really? You can't tell your children no? You can't discipline your children? This is part of the way you, you purify your kids. You put them before God, but you are all responsible for their behavior, responsible for this stuff. You've got to discipline. Scripture says, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's amazing to me how many parents say, no, that's not applicable to us. God's word is not applicable to us. We'll do something else. My mother told me one time, you know why God made your rear so big? (laughs) Guess what the rest was? That's where we're supposed to spank. And I thought, well, what about my brother? His rear's not as big. (laughs) Psalms 127, verse 3. I usually read this for baby dedications, but children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Fathers, your children are more arrows in your hands than anybody else's hands. But what is the target? It's God. It's not the job. This is, this is one of the things I think we get caught up in sometimes, that we're supposed to point our children toward occupation or toward a place in life. It's not bad to do that, but it's interesting how your kids don't always end up that way, right? But you've got to point them toward God. You've got to shoot your kids toward God. Do the best you can with every moment, every day, all the time. Shoot your children toward the Lord. Because it's more important that your kids get to heaven than anything else. It's more important that they serve God. I sent this message to all my kids this week on, on, um, on um, Messenger. <clears throat> and then, because we'd been talking about Father's Day and gifts for Father's Day and things like that. And, and here's the thing. Fathers, what, what gift do you want from your kids? I guess I deserve it, I asked. So his uh, two-year-old daughter is going to give him a smoker. Um, I I don't want my kids to get me something, right? I don't don't even like the idea of my kids spending money on me. But as they get older and they make more money, I'm becoming more comfortable with it, right? Right? Um, But here's the thing, if I can just have my kids, my my oldest and his family are not here for Father's Day. My daughter's not here for Father's Day. I wish I could have them all here for Father's Day. Wouldn't that be the best, Father's, isn't that the best thing you could have? That's that's better than anything else. Now my son did get me golf balls with my granddaughter's face on them. That was pretty good, I got to admit. Although now I can't hit them right? You put it down, you're like, no, we're not. No, we're not going to hit you. (laughs) But, but here's the thing. I sent a message to my kids. I said, this is what I want for Father's Day. If you guys would just love Jesus with everything in you, can't have a better Father's Day than that. Just love Jesus. Love him completely. Love him totally. So my oldest son sent a message back. Sorry, dad, all I can get you is socks. I'm telling you, these, these are Linda's children. <laughs> here's another thing that we've got to be. You've gotta, this is where you purify your kids. Pray, disciple, and here's another one. Is you've you've got to direct them. This is the shoot them toward the target. Shoot the arrow toward the target. I saw a song online. I, hadn't, I didn't see this. Maybe it's an old thing. It's a new thing. I don't know, but I just saw it a couple days ago um, accidentally. But a guy named Matthew West, he used to put out a bunch of uh, Christian music back in the day. He has a song that it's called Modest is Hottest. You should go listen to that, especially dads. It's a great song. And, he, and he's talking about all the ways that, that um, he's got two girls, and he's got, talking about all the ways that girls dress and all this kind of stuff, and he's saying, be modest. That's very attractive to a guy. Be modest. See, this is the thing. Is guys like it when girls are, are half naked. They like it when, until it comes time to marry and then according to Night Ranger, who do you go looking for? Sister Christian. Some of you are like, who? Look it up. It's a song in the 80s. You start looking for a Christian girl when it comes time to marry. And then once you get married, you don't want her dressing like that at all. Right? And he talks about this in the song. he says, being modest is what's the most attractive. Be modest. Be modest. It's amazing to me sometimes when we're we're trying to point our children in a direction, how we spend so much time and energy on pointing our children in directions that are really not that important. But at the time, they seem so important. All the extracurricular stuff like sports in high school, right, Um, band camps and sport camps and and, and all the different things that we point our children at. I'll give you one that is not popular to say, but I, I believe this strongly. I think sometimes we put too much pressure on our kids to make perfect grades. I just think we do. Here's, the, here's one of the things. Now, some of you, this may apply, but most people, this does not apply. When you got a job, did they ever look at a transcript you had? Not what your degree was or what your education was, but your transcript. And then your boss said, oh, I see you got to be in this class. I don't know if I can hire you. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we, we do this. We do this. And, and, and I, think, I think our kids are losing their childhood sometimes. I've seen this for years and years where parents are more adamant about sending their kids to some thing during the summer, some, um, some camp, some sports camp, or some, but they won't send them to youth camp. Youth camp is where you get saved, kids saved, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they get called into ministry, they get called to missions. God does something in their heart that solidifies them, that makes them that witness in the school year, the following year. Nobody got saved in band camp. You might have got beat up after you No, that's different but but here's the thing we put so much emphasis on it. and I don't th- I don't think there's wrong I think there's some health in that I was in sports in high school I loved it I think there was some some legitimacy to that but what is the priority what are your kids hearing from you what are they seeing from you I had a pastor one time years ago I was his youth pastor And he said, I've been praying that God will bless all you people. And then God blesses you and you buy a boat and you never come back to church. I think there's a spiritual context for that. That you get to a place where you can do certain things or your your family or your children or something. And all of a sudden church is no longer the priority. You don't think it's a big deal when your kid's 14. But your kid knows it when they're 30. It changes them. They don't have the priority of God. All the priority becomes what you taught them at seven. Right? The third thing, fathers, you never stop fathering. You never take a day off. When your child's two, you can't take a day off. It's more real when they're two, right? You know you can't take a day off. But then they're then they're seven or eight, and you think, maybe I could take a few days off. No one will notice. Kids don't pay attention. But you, you can never stop fathering because they're watching you. They're paying attention. They're, they're noticing the stuff. I've seen this so many years, so many times over the years where the mother goes to church, the dad doesn't, and as soon as the child, the boys specifically, girls not as much, but as soon as the boys get to a certain age that in that family is considered becoming more adult, they'll start staying home with dad. You're fathering them. Don't ever take a day off. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. The word of God is your priority. Teach them to your children. Your children know the word of God is your priority. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give you to his ancestors. Be careful to obey all the commands that I'm giving you. Dad. you've got to always be fathering. And I'm realizing that I I'd probably father more, I probably pastorally father more with my children as adults. You, you, it, it, becomes, it becomes a different dynamic. But there's something about... I just had a conversation with my oldest this week about something he's processing. And, and, I'm, and I'm pastoring. But, but you've got to be careful, right? In our household, if Linda says it to my oldest, he resists. Walls go up. It's like, Mom, you don't know nothing. You know, that kind of thing. They just... All my kids completely, totally respect me and understand. <laughs> I, have, I have the best uh, out for them. But you never stop fathering, dads. Why don't you just, dads? Why don't you stand for us? <clears throat> okay, dads, we got something for you this today. This is really cool. So, dads, here what I need you. To, here's what I need you to do. I need all the dads to come up here and line up along the front and face those you sired. <laughs> Pack in, slide around the sides, whatever you got to do. Hold hands. Hold hands with each other. (laughs) Interlock your fingers. You know, if I said that to a bunch of women, then I'll be like, yes, we just hold hands. Um, We got you guys a gift. If you turn around behind you, you see... Uh, there's a yellow version and a black version. These are pens, but they have stuff. There's a little level in the pens. It's got a stylus on the back. You can change the inks. It's got rulers on it and stuff like that. We talked about it for a while. Chaplain Rick and I talked about it for a while. And we were like, we could get all of the dads AR-15s. <laughs> and Rick was like, no, this would be cooler. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> this would be way cooler than an AR-15. So... So uh, we got you. So before you leave, grab one of these. Um, and if the, it looks like there's going to be extra. If you've got a dad uh, at somewhere near you at home or something like that that's not here, take one for him too. Um, but I, I want to pray for these dads. Um, I have a special affinity for dads because I am one. It took him a while. He had to look at it first. He's like... Nope. <laughs> so guys, here's the thing. God has a lot more confidence in you than you could possibly ever imagine. Probably a lot more confidence in you than you do. God knows you can do some pretty amazing things. You just gotta stay focused on Him. You just gotta keep your head down and stay focused on the Lord at all times. So everybody else, why don't you stand and we're gonna pray for we're gonna pray for these dads. God, I thank you. First, on a personal level, Lord, I just thank you for fatherhood. I thank you for giving me the chance to have children. And, now, Lord, it's, it's, it's the most amazing thing. God, except for Linda, it's the greatest thing you've done in my life. Lord, I, I know that these fathers feel the same way. So, God, just anoint them. Anoint them right now. Some of them, their children are little. Some of their children are grown. God, you anoint them to be fathers. Anoint their minds, their hearts. Lord, help them to fear you more than anything else. If they've been compromising, help them to shore it up right now with you and get it right and help them to stand strong and to fear you and to stay away from evil. How do we pray. We need help with that every day, Lord. We want to stay away from evil. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be the, the fathers you've called us to be, the fathers you created us to be. God, and I know it's going to eclipse anything we thought possible. So fill them with your Holy Spirit, fill them with wisdom, fill them with compassion when they need it, and fill them with backbone when they need it. And God, for the ones that their children are still little, help them to raise godly children, girls and boys that love you. God, I specifically pray for these men that have boys, that they will raise these boys to be men. Men killing men in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for these guys that their children are are grown, got grandkids, great-grandkids. Lord, help them to fear you and continue giving that example to their children. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How about let's give these dads a hand. so you you guys grab your um your pen i I, I mean so many of you have come and said are those cigars they're (laughs) pens i'm not going to give away cigars (laughs) so so how many of you dads you're you're going out to eat how many of you dads are going home for dinner for lunch whatever All right, just checking. No reason. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Use Father's Day somehow to tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell the fathers happy Father's Day and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.